I've entitled this study of the Gospel of John, Light in the Darkness. And I've done that for a couple reasons. First, because it's a phrase that John himself uses in that introductory section that we discussed in our last session. In verse 4 of chapter 1, John refers to the Son as the light of men. And then in the next verse, he says that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And Jesus also says something very similar in John chapter 3, verse 19, when he's talking about his reason for coming into the world. He describes his arrival by saying that the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. That's very similar to what we read in chapter 1, but with a little bit of a twist, because now Jesus' words make it clear that the darkness that's being referred to, it's, it's not just a matter of ignorance, people not knowing. The darkness that John and then Jesus refer to is active opposition to the light. Christ is a light. A light that, as John says in his opening verses, a light that gives life. But then Jesus says that this is a light that people resist. They oppose it. They don't want the light. They, they prefer, he says, they prefer the darkness. They love the darkness because their works are evil. And maybe that should come as no surprise. After all, anyone who has ever experienced shame, you know what it feels like. You know what makes the darkness so attractive. We love the darkness because the darkness hides us, hides all those things which we'd rather not have anyone know, all those things we'd rather just avoid. As long as you can stay in the dark, in the shadows, you can feel safe. But as soon as you step into the light, then you're exposed. But there's an irony to this attitude, our, our love of the darkness and being hidden. As the New Testament scholar Marianne Thompson points out in her commentary on the Gospel of John, the irony is that while people fear coming into the light, afraid that the exposure of their deeds brings judgment and condemnation, it is there that they find salvation and life. And that's exactly what we find in the Gospel of John. People meet Jesus, and in meeting him, they are brought into the light. And that can be very uncomfortable, but it is there in the light. As they're exposed, that is where they find life and salvation. And that's what I want to begin to explore together in this session. What it looks like to encounter the, the unsettling, the exposing light that is Jesus. And to do that, I want to focus on two stories that John tells. One in chapter 3 and then another in chapter 4. Stories about two memorable encounters that Jesus has. One with a Samaritan woman, and another one with a Jewish teacher named Nicodemus. Now, these two encounters, they're, they're very different in a lot of ways, but they share something in common. Both of these two people were living in the dark, and Jesus, when he meets them, he exposes them. And it's through that exposure, through that light being shown on their darkness, that's how they begin to discover life. But right now, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's begin with the first of John's two stories, the one which can be found in chapter 3, 
verses 1 through 21. It's the story of a conversation between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. And John doesn't tell us very much about this man, other than the fact that he's regarded as a leader among the Jews and that he was a member of the, the very serious Jewish sect known as the Pharisees. But John does mention one curious fact about this man's visit. He says that Nicodemus came to speak with Jesus at night. Now, this little detail has suggested to some people that Nicodemus was afraid or that he was ashamed of being seen with Jesus, that that's why he came at night. But there's no real evidence for that. And so it actually seems more likely that John's mention of the nighttime, it's meant to tell us something else about Nicodemus, not his psychological state of wanting to avoid people seeing him meeting with Jesus, but rather that when he comes to Jesus, this is John's way of helping us realize that Nicodemus himself is still in the dark. The question is how, how is he in the dark? Well, if you pay attention to the back and forth between him and Jesus, you can start to get an idea. Uh, Nicodemus starts off the conversation by addressing Jesus as a teacher. Rabbi, he says, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Uh, these are not the words of someone who's hostile toward Jesus. These are the words of someone who respects him. But notice how Nicodemus engages Jesus. He comes to him as a teacher, rabbi, which is also how Nicodemus thinks of himself. Later on in the conversation, Jesus refers to Nicodemus as a teacher of Israel. And that tells us something about the kind of conversation that Nicodemus wants to have. He's come as one rabbi to talk to Jesus as a rabbi to have a learned theological conversation, one teacher to another. But that is not how Jesus engages him. Indeed, it seems that Jesus wants to have an entirely different sort of conversation. He doesn't want to debate the finer points of Nicodemus's understanding of the law. Jesus wants to shine some light on Nicodemus's real problem. And that's why as soon as Nicodemus finishes talking, as soon as he addresses Jesus, Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, when you first read this exchange, Jesus's response, it seems kind of odd. Jesus's words, they don't really seem to be responding at all to what Nicodemus said. And Nicodemus himself, he's very flustered by what Jesus says. He was probably expecting Jesus to, to return his complimentary greeting. He had addressed Jesus as a rabbi. Maybe he expected the same. And, and then they could have an academic discussion about the kingdom of God. But that's not at all what Jesus does. Jesus just changes the subject entirely, tells Nicodemus that, all of his fancy education won't do him a lick of good when it comes to being a part of the kingdom of God. That Nicodemus, that his only hope is for the spirit of God to give him new life, to be born again, born from above. What Jesus is in effect saying to Nicodemus is to, to quote the church father, John Chrysostom, 
No, my dear Nicodemus, I am not moved by your beautiful words. You must give up your old life and become a new man. It's a fascinating example, this exchange of how Jesus is so quickly able to turn the tables on people. Nicodemus, this Jewish teacher, this leader, he had come to have a learned discussion. But Jesus turns the conversation around immediately to talk instead about how Nicodemus is still in the dark and how only an act of God is able to bring him into the light. And if you think of their conversation from that perspective, you could see the similarities with the story that John includes in his next chapter about the Samaritan woman that meets Jesus at the well. In many ways, this encounter seems to be the exact opposite of Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus. He, after all, was a respected Jewish teacher. She is a Samaritan, someone who is seen as a religious heretic, an apostate, not someone respected by the Jews, but someone who was despised by them. It would have been very natural for someone like Nicodemus to speak with Jesus, but a woman and a Samaritan woman at that? Even she is astonished when Jesus sits down and engages her by asking her for a drink. How is it that you, she says, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? But as different as this woman is from the man who came to Jesus at night, there are also some striking similarities in their conversation with Jesus. Notice, for instance, how just like he did with Nicodemus, Jesus immediately redirects this conversation to focus on the woman's need. She asks a question about why he is speaking to her, but he doesn't really answer that question. Instead, he says she is the one who should be seeking him. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then, just like Nicodemus, this woman is confused. She doesn't understand what this living water is, nor was she even aware that she needed it. And then as their conversation continues, Jesus begins to shine some light on the darkness of her life. Go call your husband, he says. I have no husband, she responds. Which is true, but only a half-truth, and Jesus knows it. You're right, he says. You don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and now you're living with someone who isn't even your husband. It's not hard to imagine how that woman felt when she heard Jesus say those words. Here's this Jewish rabbi that she doesn't know, and all of a sudden, he's talking about the things that she's most ashamed of. And you can tell she feels uncomfortable because then she tries to do the same thing that Nicodemus did. She tries to turn the conversation into an academic debate of a point of theological disagreement between Jews and Samaritans. But Jesus, he's very kind in his interaction with her. He doesn't rebuke her for trying to change the topic all of a sudden. He answers her question. But even in his answer, he keeps the focus on her. She asks him about the proper place for worship, but he 
he wants to talk to her about the darkness of her own life and how she can become a true worshiper. You know, there's a clear pattern in these stories. As different as Nicodemus and this woman are, they both experience the same thing when they meet Jesus. They try to talk to him about impersonal theological questions, but he's not there to debate. He's there to shine light on the darkness of their lives and to tell them how they can move into the light. When I think about these encounters, I'm reminded of something that the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his, his book, Life Together. He was talking about sin and about how we often try to hide our sin and we want to keep it in the dark because we're ashamed. But in the end, he says, in the end, all that hiding and all that covering up, it just makes it worse. Sin wants to be alone with people. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of what is left unsaid, sin poisons the whole being of a person. Sin must be brought into the light. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in these two conversations. He is bringing people into the light. And it's pretty clear, you could tell from their interactions that they'd rather leave certain things unsaid. That's why they try to direct the conversation away from themselves and they want to engage Jesus in some debate. Because then, then if they do that, then they don't have to look at the darkness within. And of course, you and I, we do the same thing. We don't like to talk about the darkness of our own lives, the things that we feel ashamed of. We don't even want to think about it. And so, so instead, we find other things to talk about, other things to distract ourselves. We talk about politics and sports, and then we stream movies and we listen to podcasts. We, we fill our lives with constant noise and endless activities. And we do whatever is necessary to avoid thinking or talking about the darkness within. And that's exactly why we need Jesus, this man that we meet in the Gospel of John. Because he came as the light. He came to expose, to shine light on all those hidden parts of our lives. And that's why, as Nicodemus and that Samaritan woman both learn, meeting Jesus can be... It often is a very uncomfortable, very unsettling experience. But in the end, it's the only way to find true life. You and I, we may want to stay in the dark, but Jesus, the light, has come to drag us out of the darkness and to bring us into the light. Mm -hmm.